I'm Liz James. I'm Ann Barker. And this is a special bonus episode of The Cracked Cup. Oh, I'm so excited to do this episode. This is our special fundraising episode for our Christmas fundraiser for Flaming Chalice International. Um, I which love is- a fundraiser. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Who doesn't love a fundraiser? <laughs> okay. What's not to love about dozens and dozens of people working themselves to the bone to raise a hundred bucks? <laughs> This is not that kind of fundraiser. This is not like the fundraisers that you and I ran for many years when we were together at church. I don't think you can make squealy sounds about not loving a fundraiser because you know you love a fundraiser. I do love a fundraiser. Like the beginning, what, three years of Anne and I's relationship was all church fundraisers? Because we were church ladies together. We weren't really ladies. (laughs) No, we were not ladies. And we toiled for like three years on all kinds of joy and must have raised at least $7.50. That's right. Well, we thought it was like our personal mission in life to raise money and to provide fun. And to be fair, when we hosted a fundraiser together, it was a lot of fun. So even if it was dozens and dozens of people working really hard to make something happen to raise a hundred bucks, that hundred bucks was worth it. <laughs> in retrospect, it always was. And the farther it is in the rearview mirror, the more worth it feels. <laughs> Your like main signature fundraiser was the chocolate fundraiser. It was. Liz and I used to do death by chocolate. I started it with someone else and then Liz and I took it on when uh, my other friend wasn't doing it anymore. And it was a thing that we had lots of fun. We had music and dancing and chocolate. And I think one of the highlights of the night was there was always a raffle. There was often art uh, being auctioned off as well, but there was always a raffle. And in the raffle, there was always a naughty basket. And the same couple got it every year, a slightly older couple, and he would put in his raffle tickets and then he would make her go collect the naughty basket. Right? It was fun and they would blush this really cute pink. (laughs) By naughty basket, we mean like it would have lube and a vibrator and chocolate and all kinds of good things, the kinds of fun things you need. I don't know how many vibrators they needed because they won it every year. I'm pretty sure that that's none of our business. (laughs) The thing that I loved about that one is a Valentine's Day celebration. And it was a celebration of all different types of love. So like single people came, people came with friends, polyamorous triads came, same sex couples came because that was still at a time where you couldn't necessarily feel comfortable going out with your same sex partner. And one of the values of Unitarian Universalism that I really like is that sexuality is something to celebrate, to be careful with, like all powerful and important things, but also that it's a good thing and it's wonderful. And we do a lot of sex ed stuff. There's always this thing, too, about the morality that people assign to churches where they think that sexuality is only like for married people or procreation. And we don't have that kind of nonsense in Unitarian Universalism. I mean, we might have it in some of our brains, but we don't have it in the system and in the structure itself. And instead, we wanted there to be something on Valentine's Day where single people could come and have fun. And we know that people have sex even when they're not in committed relationships. <laughs> So like we like there to be a recognition that there are all different ways of living your life. One of my favorite uh, moments was we had a burlesque troupe that performs fairly regularly. She did that after I moved away and my feelings are still a little bit hurt. They're so good. They are so funny. Like one of them is a skit entitled Erotic Photography. 
And the burlesque guy like strips in this very seductive way while taking pictures of his volunteer who is sitting on the chair. <laughs> like, like all these hilarious things. But I remember the first time they performed, Lola came out and she starts with her whole thing with her feather boa. And she's like, someone in the crowd goes, oh, my God, what the hell kind of church is this? <laughs> Yeah, if for those of you who can't visualize this because it's not your life experience, um, the congregation Liz is talking about has chairs in their main sanctuary or hall or the place where you do the Sunday service, not pews. So you can put in tables, you can have a party, and the stripping is happening in the church, not just like in the church hall. It's happening in the church church, which makes us especially kind of gloaty proud of ourselves. <laughs> can I tell the other stripper story? The one oh, about please tell the stripper story. The stripper I think that's perfect for a budget. Christmas fundraiser. <laughs> this last June, uh, because Mirth and Dignity is now a not-for-profit and we have to put together proper books and do all the things exactly blah, blah, right. Blah, blah, blah. blah. This Be part is boring. Right. So I'm putting together the books and John, who is my partner, who we are in the committed stage of relationship that is quarantine buddying. Modern relationships have been like completely Is this the justification now? for whatever is on your Facebook when we see pictures of you together? <laughs> Yeah, we oh, all yeah, think you're responsible buddy. and safe. <laughs> I don't know how responsible I am. But anyways, he has a lot of experience doing books and stuff. So I'm putting all this together and he turns to me and he goes, so strippers need to go under advertising, not under, I forget what the other category was. Meals, looking, meals and Yeah, not under meals and entertainment. <laughs> and I'm like, huh? And so he like becomes very alive as he does whenever we're talking about spreadsheets. And he's like, because advertising is considered 100% deductible and meals and entertainment are 50% deduction. And I was like, dude, you ran a metal manufacturing company. Like, when did this ever How come you know this? Yeah, so there's this big long story about like people camping out outside and there's this festival and there is no strippers in this story. It's so anyhow, I interrupt in part with you. I'm like, John, I'm running a religious not for profit. Where do you think that strippers are going to come in? And then he looks at me and he's like, do you remember that the first time we ever met? It was at an event with a bunch of strippers in your church? <laughs> burlesque, John. We call it burlesque. <laughs> so I would just like to have a little disclaimer here. This Christmas fundraiser has 100% less strippers <laughs> oh, yeah, than this, this by chocolate. Yes, this particular fundraiser is a stripper-free fundraiser. <laughs> yes, not that there's anything morally wrong with a stripper fundraiser. Maybe we should call this the stripper episode. I don't know. You already that told, might be already. I already told them that you made me do that. I'm so scared about what you're going to leave in this podcast. <laughs> okay, so what kind of fundraiser is this? Let me tell you, Anne. So glad you asked. Thanks, you made me. So last year at about this time, Fogens came to me because there was a group of refugees that he was hoping to settle in Canada. And he wanted me to contribute to it. And the amount that was needed was like $40,000, I think, $42,000. More money than I had because I had just spent all my money on stickers for the hysterical party. <laughs> <laughs> that seems like a responsible use of funding. Yeah. So I explained to him about how I spent all my money on stickers. And then we came up with the idea of running a fundraiser through the hysterical society. So last year, a bunch of us came together and made like all kinds of funny printable products. Like for your gifts, a thing that says, it's the thought that counts. And I way overthought this. <laughs> or a sticker that says not poisonous to go on like the baking that you're going to send people. <laughs> like, oh, God, that of, like, sounds good. Stuff. It was really fun. So we made these like printable packages and then we 
put them up that you could make a donation and get these. And then everyone responded in true Unitarian fashion, but I don't want these printables. I just want to make a donation. How come I have to have these printables? And I kept thinking, Unitarians just, are so virtuous. <laughs> just put it in your spam folder. <laughs> well, don't put it in your spam folder. <laughs> but anyhow, so then we created like a donation thing because we realized that selling wasn't entirely where it's at to a group of UUs. And anyways, long story short, we raised like $16,000, which was a real turning point for the group. That was a moment when we sort of realized we're not just people messing around making memes on the internet. We're actually changing lives for people. That's in, like, pretty wonderful. Very deep ways. So it's very cool. Uh, 16,000 wasn't enough for that group of people. And so we've been working all year and we're now very, very close. We're about $5,000 away, give or take. Liz. Yes. I think you ought to tell the people what you're actually raising money for. <laughs> for the group of refugees. Didn't I say yeah. that? Nope, not so much. Okay. <laughs> there is we skipped ahead to the money, which of course we will continue to do throughout this podcast. But that tell the people the part. point. Though the point is to bring the refugees to Canada. What refugees, Liz? Oh, from the Could you, you go back to the beginning? <laughs> okay. At the very beginning is the Edict of Torta. <laughs> Could you maybe not go back quite that far? So Reverend Fujansen Dadajimana was a minister in Burundi. He's now a minister in Canada, who was himself a refugee and was himself thrown in prison. And Unitarians around the world helped him get out and he fled to Canada. And now he runs Flaming Chalice International, which is an organization that does aid and refugee resettlement and is now also taking on some community development projects. But the thing we're fundraising for is a specific group of refugees from his home community in Burundi who had to flee because of espousing values that we support. And so we're trying to get them resettled in Canada and also because of COVID, putting some funds towards helping them stay alive because they can't work right now. So Liz, why is Mirth and Dignity doing this specific project now? <laughs> so if I'm going to be totally honest with you, then I would appreciate it reason. if you would be totally honest with me. <laughs> so there, there's a couple of reasons. The biggest one is to do with relationship, right? It's like if your next door neighbor has a fire, there's a million people you could be making casseroles for today, but you're going to make it for your next door neighbor. I know Fougence and he's my friend and I care about him and I believe in this thing that is so important to him. I mean, think about your church and all the people in your church. And if the bunch of them had to flee and they were in refugee camps, think about the urgency that you would feel about getting them to safety. Absolutely. And this is his people. And because he's my people, then this is my people too. Absolutely. And so some of it is when you have a friend that you care about and something is deeply important to them, then it's deeply important to you. So to be 100% honest, that is the first reason. I think that's a um, great reason. <laughs> yes, but like the people chain gets a little bit diluted the farther out you go. <laughs> but there, there is more to it than than just that. Tell us more. Um, I sponsored a number of refugees in my time who were friends of people that I knew. This is the first time that I have taken a call to a larger community in this way, mm -hmm. because personal relationship isn't the only reason why this is something that I feel passionately is a good fit for this group. Everyone has this sense of there are people in refugee camps. What can we do to help? Everyone has this sense of this in pressing inequity that we all carry and that we all want to see fixed. And there are a whole bunch of wonderful places that you can donate to that do amazing work. One of the ways that I'm very passionate about helping is 
when you can find someone that you know well enough or you have direct enough relationship with that is a local person that is in a position to spend funds very, very wisely, you get this opportunity to help in a way that is very direct, but very low infrastructure. So other refugees from Fujance's community that I've sponsored personally, um, in combination with a couple other families, I've seen how well they're settled because Fujance and the other people here do a really good job of helping with that. And I've also seen how he's able to settle refugees on a much smaller budget and so settle far more people than normally happens because this is a community of people. And again, imagine your own church. If you're now settled in Canada and you know that every dollar you don't spend getting settled in Canada is a dollar that will be used to bring the people who are still left behind in the camp. Right. There's a lot of motivation there. When you have the opportunity to help in a direct, low infrastructure way, I've personally found that that tends to be a very good investment. So I really believe in this as an investment or I wouldn't be bringing it to the group. Well, and I think there's a there's a bonus as well, because um, for the folks who were here at the UU Hysterical Society this time last year, they're already invested. They've already participated mm-hmm. in a fundraiser for this same group of people. And we've come really close to having the amount of money we need to uh, file the papers to bring these folks to Canada. We're a few thousand dollars away. Just a do, few, do, like a little few, not a big few. So just to explain a little bit about the context, Canada, the government settles refugees the same as in every other country. And we also have something called private sponsorship, which a lot of UU churches in Canada have gotten involved in. And that's where instead of the government sponsoring refugees, a group of families or a church or whatever type of group gets together and they raise the money needed for that family to settle in Canada. And then those refugees are brought over in excess of the government ones. So we're able to bring over more people. And those refugees do very well because when they get here, they have a community that's willing to help them solve all the little tiny problems that come up when you're settling in a new country. Right. The group that sponsors them also makes a commitment for at least the first year to help them mm-hmm. like to to fund their existence to help them be settled, but also to help them find their way. So the government has programs they can still participate in, but the relationship of having a community of people who are invested in your success and your settlement and your well-being is an extra bonus piece on top of that. Mm -hmm. We're finding that people adjust and assimilate quicker and better when they're welcomed by a group than when they're welcomed by a government, which makes a lot of sense. Right. And this is a group of like people who are are their peers, right? People like Fulgence who come from Burundi. Not we're not asking them to assimilate into into white lady Canadian culture. They're being met by humans who understand who they are and where they come from. So I've participated a few times in family resettlement, and I can tell you it's very hard when someone comes from another country to have any idea what on earth is going to be useful to them. Or even simple things like how to explain to an African about cold. The first um, refugee I was part of helping, and he said, I think I'm allergic to the air. It's pinching me. And I said, no, no, that's cold. And he said, no, it's not cold. It's pinching because he'd never felt that kind of cold. And just like I have an experience being in danger from too much heat, he would go outside in shoes that would give him terrible frostbite. And I would say, you can't do that. It's not safe. And he would say, it's okay. I can bear the pain. We're having this conversation in French. My French sounds like it's been through a blender. And I said, uh, no, no, you can't. You can't do that. If you keep doing that, we will cut off your toes. <laughs> right. <laughs> at which point he looks at 
because he didn't know that cold could damage you. He right. just thought it was painful. Right. So you know, what kind of barbaric country is this that cuts off people's toes? Right. So the thing you started out to explain was about the settlement system. And so for us to, for Canadians to file private sponsorship, we have to file paperwork and you have to put up a bunch of money to do that. Right. That's, mm. I think, the piece you were trying to get to. Yeah. So the amount we needed was uh, considerably more than we were raised last year. So I, I might have my numbers not perfect, but I believe it was $42,000 that we needed and $16,000 that we raised. And uh, then Fougence took that story to the UU funding panel and said, look what amazing thing this, these people did. The UU funding panel then responded with a grant. Another congregation in Canada is also partnering. So they're taking some of this group, but then they're also adding one more person. It's a little bit complicated. And then the, the UU funding panel also gave a matching grant. So every dollar that we raise this time around is going to be matched. So it's actually $2 that we raise. So we're actually very close. We're a few thousand dollars away, which is incredibly exciting. Although we also now, because of COVID, it takes a couple of years from when you file the papers to when the person actually comes to Canada. And they were working and largely self-sustained before, but that has been curbed a little bit. And so there are some additional needs. So... I think it's exciting that people who participated last year know that we're so close yeah, to the target that with only a few thousand dollars, we have the money for Reverend Fulgence to file the paperwork and start the process, which is fabulous. My first vision is that in a matter of weeks, I want Fulgence to be able to file those papers. And we're in communication with these people. He'll be able to send a photo of like the papers just went Yay. in the mail. And then my other part is I'd like to raise also enough money that he's able to say to them, we have this money, we will be able to give you what you need to stay alive and stay safe while you're waiting for this paperwork to come. So what is our target for this fundraiser? Our target is $15,000. Last year, we raised $16,000. And there were fewer people in the group. And we didn't have a podcast. So I am optimistic. So one of the great things is that with a group this size with 55,000 plus people, the ask is spread out over a larger amount of people. And we know that some of you aren't able to contribute at this moment, that you're already going through your own personal hardships. COVID has been a massive hit and all kinds of things are going on in people's lives. And so if you can't contribute to this fundraiser, we're just really glad to have you participating at the UU Hysterical Society. We love your presence as much as your presence. But if you are able to contribute, then contributing generously helps us reach this conservative target for a group this size and will make such a difference in this group of people's lives. And I think it's important to mention that amounts of any amount are very helpful from the perspective of reaching our goal, but also these people are part of our community. And Fougence has spoken really eloquently about how it felt to know that there were Unitarians when he was in prison. He would sit there at night. The reason it's called Flaming Chalice International is because he had the image of the Flaming Chalice, because even though he was trapped and stuck and scared, he knew that there were people all over the world that hadn't forgotten him. And one of the things that is wonderful about bringing this group over in this way is it's not five families that didn't forget you. It's a group of thousands of people that didn't forget you. So even if you only have a couple dollars and there are a lot of people in that position, don't feel like that's too little to be able to be a part of it because we want to say all these people came together and you weren't forgotten and you are a part of our community. For sure. If half the people at the UU Hysterical Society donated $1, we'd almost double our target. 
Yeah. Right. So if you can donate a dollar, don't think it's too small. So Liz, I have another question. You did the first fundraiser and now this fundraiser, and you're calling them a Christmas fundraiser. Why did you choose this time of year? Because there's a lot of competition for our attention and our money and our donations at the holidays. Yeah, I figured that as a minister, you'd be bored around Christmas and you would need one more thing to do. Because there's nothing to do at the holiday season. (laughs) Everyone's bored. (laughs) Okay, well, there's a couple of reasons. The first most honest one is that we wanted to sell products and logistically this was an effective time to do it. Although it turned out that people were far more interested in donating than buying our PDFs. Although our PDFs are great and I'm going to come back to that. And we're far more interested in people donating than buying our products for sure. Well, the PDFs, I, I'm i interested in people liking my PDFs. We want them to like them. We're going to, aren't we going to give them away? Yes. Okay. I want people to like them so badly, I've assigned no value to them. But the other reason for me is I personally don't believe in the Christmas story as the birth of Jesus occurred on December 25th. But I do believe it as a story about a family that was trying to be a family in non-ideal circumstances. They were traveling, there was no room at the inn, all kinds of things were going badly. And yet when you see that nativity scene, what I see when I see the nativity scene isn't necessarily a specific religion, but a story of that warmth and that light and that love that took place in the middle of a barn. And it was not an ideal circumstance, but this is a family and this family is valuable. And so for me, the Christmas story is very much linked to the refugee story. You know, what came up for me when you were just describing that, and I know that this is really precious to your heart, it made me realize that at this time in the world, a lot of us are having this horrifying realization that we've always thought that if we lived through some of the horrible things that happened in history, we would have behaved differently, right? Mm. I would not have accepted that kind of an uprising. I would have stood up in the face of uh, racism or fascism or something. We have these these stories we tell ourselves about how we will behave. Mm-hmm. And now we're in this really complicated time where we're realizing how hard it is to fight against mean and vicious forces, how hard it is to turn the tide and to change something. So when I think back to this refugee story that you were just talking about, the the family in the barn who who didn't get comfort and were kind of tossed out to the back pasture, really, we have an opportunity to respond differently. Mm -hmm. This is a time when we can come in and say, you know what, there are people who are isolated and alone and need support, and we can actually make a difference in this moment. I think there's a real myth, too, around we will respond well or we will respond poorly because we're people. And we respond better some days than other days. Exactly. And it's in a lot of ways, not about being a hero or a crusader or someone who goes down in history. It's about doing it, doing things slightly better, finding little ways to make a difference and letting yourself feel good about those things. It's very easy to say, I have this ideal of who I thought I would be if I was at a moment in history and I must do all of these things. And it doesn't leave you room to be a human being. Right. Exactly. And to understand that even tiny things have profound effects. Like, I look at the situation of refugees, and there's so many, so many, so many refugees who need help. And to say, I'm just going to help this one person makes it feel like you're doing nothing, except it's not nothing from the perspective 
of the refugee that you're helping, it's an infinite amount of help. It's everything. It's everything for one person. Right. And the fact that there are many, many more people that you can't get to does not change how much it's everything for the one person you did get to. So why don't you tell them how this works, Liz? What do the people do? It's so easy. You go to uuhistoricalsociety.com and there's a big button that says donate. And then there is another one that says donate for Canadians. If you're Canadian, then I'm going to route you through Flaming Chalice International so you can get a tax receipt. But if you're from any other country in the world, you can donate all the same way you do all your online things. Your $5 is not just a donation. It is also an investment because you're going to get those PDFs that I mentioned that nobody wanted, but they're really good and you should want them. Tell us more. You'll get the, the hymnal supplement with alternative lyrics to Christmas carols. Because everybody wants a hymnal. (laughs) You'll get, okay, maybe, you don't think hymnal supplement makes us sound cool? I think you should move on to the next product. (laughs) We have a whole bunch of stuff for like making cool Christmas gifts. Like we have alternative wine bottle labels that say things like important ritual supplies star. I get to define what counts as a ritual. Ooh, or, I like the I like the gift tags. So it's this <laughs> cool printable page of gift tags, and you just print them out and cut them out because you know you can work scissors. We believe in you, <laughs> and they say fun things like "warning contains immature content" or "handmade for you," presumably, but not by me, or "it's the thought that counts." And I way overthought this. <laughs> And there's also like a candle making kit. So you can take tea lights and you print out these things that you use to decorate the tea lights. And they say things like the different candle scents, like a candle for seasonal obligations, smells like conspicuous consumption and forced merriment. (laughs) I wish I weren't too old for Lego and toy trains. Because really in the world, we don't need to give more crap to people. We don't need more junk in the world, but a lovely, beautiful scented candle. I mean, how does that not smell like holidays? And if someone gave you a candle last year, you take that same candle and then you print out the label that says a candle for regifting smells like reduce, reuse and respect the planet. And then you wrap it around <laughs> the candle they gave you and then you give it back to them. It could be one of those things like where the family sends the birthday card back and forth every year. <laughs> In the Christmas label package too, there's a page that has all of the cool Hysterical Society sticker designs on it. So if you haven't got Hysterical Society stickers, but you might have a piece of sticker printer paper, you can print the whole set of cool stickers like probably not a Horcrux and now contains 20% more holy water and have your own stickers to stick in all the awesome stickery places. Yeah, or you could print them on paper and then tape them to the gifts if you want people to know how much holy water is in the bottle of wine you're giving them. One of the wine bottle labels says spiritually enlightened water. So if you make (laughs) your own wine. We also do have actual stuff gifts. We sell little flasks. My favorite of the little flasks is for when thoughts and prayers are not enough. Right. coffee, Coffee mug that says this is my spiritual practice. And we have little lockets that say probably not a Horcrux on them. So there are a number of funny actual gifts if you would like to do your Christmas shopping uh, and all of the proceeds of that will also go to this project. I have the This Is My Spiritual Practice sticker on my five-year journal. Oh, nice. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Nice. I'll send you a Horcrux one. That also belongs on your journal. It totally (laughs) belongs on there. We have probably not a Horcrux and we have not a Horcrux stickers and the probably not a Horcrux stickers outsell the not a Horcrux stickers five to one, which I find very funny. (laughs) 
So I'm just doing a quick review of the show notes. And I see that we have jumped all over the place, which is the way (laughs) that we are together. But we have missed one really good story. And I want you to tell the turkey story, Liz, because I think it's so important. Okay. So thinking about this thing you were talking about earlier, about feeling like sometimes you feel like there's not enough that you can do. The turkey story comes from a time in my family's life where my mom was very, very sick. There was a period when I was younger that she was quite sick. We had some help through the social security net in Canada. There were some people that were hired to come help out a little bit around the house and give my mom some support, mostly students. And one year, one of these people arrives January 2nd for her shift of three hours to kind of try and do the laundry, clean up, do what she can. And my dad comes up from downstairs and he thud sticks this giant frozen turkey on the table. And he says, do you think you could cook this? And she says, from frozen in four hours? <laughs> and my dad, not a big cook, sort of looked crestfallen and said, oh, okay, no, I understand. Sure. Um, it's just that it's been a really rough year and we didn't really get to the Christmas stuff this year. And this woman, I don't know anything about her because they they were always rotating these different students. But I imagine her being one of those social work students with stars in their eyes who wants to help the world and who feels like she can't do enough. And there were a lot of people trying to help my family at that time. And sometimes it was enough and sometimes it wasn't. And that's just how it goes. But our whole family remembers this story about the turkey. And we remember this woman staying well past noon, taking this turkey. She stick it in the bathtub and she put the shower on it to try and warm it up. Mm-hmm. And then she got the oven going. And there are a lot of things I remember good and bad from that time in my family's life. But I have this vivid memory of this turkey dinner that this woman stayed late and put together that maybe she might not have thought was her best Christmas dinner she'd ever cooked, but had such a huge impact on us. And I want to tell that story because it comes back to that thing of, I imagine she went out into the world and didn't think that was that big a thing that she thought that was one afternoon that she became overwhelmed with all the other needs that existed in the world and all the things that she couldn't fix. But from my perspective as a kid, that was huge. Like that's a story we tell in our family. That's something that I will always remember that has this emotional impact of this stranger standing by us and doing that little thing that she could do to help. And I just want to say to people, there's a lot of need right now and don't expect yourself to be able to do all the things, but the thing that you can do really counts. I know this has been a really long winter and there is this giant blizzard of need (laughs) surrounding us all a lot of the time. But whether it be helping with this campaign or some other thing that you're going to do, I want people to hear that you never know the impact of the tiny kindness that you do. You never know what thing is going to be something that a kid will remember for the whole entire rest of their life. Yeah. And so whatever it is that is your thing that you're doing, I just want to say to people, don't say that you think it's not enough because you can't know how big it is. You don't know how enough what you're doing is. I wish you could see Liz's tender bunny face right now. (laughs) I'm glad nobody can see my tender bunny face. No, her tender bunny (laughs) face is right there. Yeah. And the thing is, we never know, right? We don't know. I mean, the reason the stories about teachers hearing from a student who told them they saved their life, the reason they make us cry and that they're so important is because most of the time 
that doesn't ever come all the way back, right? Most of the time, we don't hear those stories and get to know that. But the impact that we have in people's lives can be profound, even when we have no clue that that's what we've done. And even if it doesn't come back around, if you are doing those little things for people, there are people who are carrying that kind of story about you. Yeah. And now, from Anne, a blessing. Give what you can. In this complex world where ground still quakes beneath our fear, where cynicism says forget and forces strain to interrupt emergence, what does remain, we insist with shaky fierceness, is the next right thing. We believe within our bravest dreams that there should be no starving people and safety just makes sense, that freedom is so obvious, that love is love is love. And so to manifest these truths, we bring love's promise to the world, act by simple human act, one small right thing and then another. Give what you can, the wise ones teach. Give what you can and nothing is too small. There is no measure of enough to satisfy this hurting world, but nonetheless, there's still the choice to speak a truth, to lend a hand, to risk our comfort and transform our lives. We rarely know just what amount will make the sacred difference. And still, we need to practice that a part of it is ours. You've been listening to the Cracked Cup Podcast, a Mirth and Dignity production. If you liked our podcast, we would appreciate it so much if you would give us a rating and maybe even review, and we would especially appreciate it if you would recommend us to a friend. We'd love to hear from you, whether you have a question or a comment or a comment masquerading as a question. You can email us at uuhystericalsociety at gmail.com or use the contact form on our website at crackedcuppodcast.com. If you liked the podcast, you might like to attend a service some Sunday morning. There's a special service for this campaign. It will happen twice, hosted by two different congregations, on November 22nd and then again on November 29th. The links are in the show notes. If you like the stories of this podcast, I think you will really like this service. I will be telling the lion story from when I was in rural Kenya. We also have a holiday service coming up on December 6th, which I'm also really looking forward to. And the Zoom links for all of these are in the show notes. If you're wondering about this Facebook group we keep mentioning, there's a link to that in the show notes as well. And a huge thank you to the UU Funding Program for funding the first 10 episodes of our podcast, and also a huge thank you to our Patreon supporters who are joining with us and supporting our vision of having this podcast last even beyond those first 10 episodes. If you'd like to support us on Patreon, you can find us at patreon.com slash mirthanddignity, and the first 30 supporters to sign up will get a very exciting present as well as the ongoing access to the fun bonus stuff that all our Patreon supporters get. If you'd like to use the blessing from this month's podcast in a worship or in your own creative endeavors, you're more than welcome to do that, ideally with attribution in the form of a shout-out to our podcast or website. All of our materials are licensed under the Truth Will Not Hold Still licensing, which we invented, and which means that not only are you free to use our stuff, you are free to modify our words to suit new contexts and understandings as language evolves over time. Music for the Cracked Cup podcast is done by Blue Dot Sessions and production is done by the saintly and talented Adrian Muhajirin and audio interference is managed by Simba the Cat. 
We are so grateful that you could join us.